Let's uh, pray as we begin. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for yeah, faces we haven't seen in a while. It's good to, uh, to get back into the rhythm of yeah, semester and have uh, yeah, more college students present and, uh, and being able to see old friends. Lord, we're just grateful for this morning. Uh, we're grateful for the chance to, to gather together and worship, Lord, that we're not um, called to follow you alone. And we're grateful for the opportunity you give us this morning to come to your word together, to come to your table together, uh, and to reflect on what it is you're speaking to us by your spirit. Uh, we pray in these moments, God, that you would make us sensitive um, to your voice, that we would hear with clarity uh, what it is you are calling us to, uh, and that we would respond in worship. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was thinking about it this week. If we're being real, there is no sermon that I could preach that would garner more approval in Birmingham, Alabama than a sermon on blessing. Everybody loves blessing. Like, our culture is fascinated with the idea of, of blessing. Everybody's constantly talking about it. Like, we, we decorate our homes with it. You walk into somebody's house and there's one of those signs, blessed, right? And you feel a little bit warmer when you walk in the door maybe, right? Or maybe it's like one of those like new school ones that says like, God bless this mess, right? Or something like that, right? Like one of those sort of like, and some of you guys are like, I've got that sign, my bad. Like, I'm not making fun. Like, we're fascinated with the idea of blessing. It's everywhere, right? We color our conversations with it. Somebody bags your groceries. You go through the fast food line, whatever it is, and somebody says, have a blessed day, I don't know if that's unique to the South, but it happens a lot. People use this a lot. Because who doesn't like to be blessed? Like even non-believing people are like, hey, this is good, right? This is the way we understand things. There is no nation that has reflected more upon the idea of what it means to be blessed than America, right? There's no country that has more shaped its national identity around this idea of blessing more than us. Nobody, right? So... Deuteronomy 30 should be pretty easy, right? It's about blessing. Except that Moses goes and he brings up curses all over again, right? Now, if you've been hanging around with us, we're toward the end of Deuteronomy. We've been doing this over the, the course of the summer. In chapters 28 and 29, it's blessings, some, around 10 blessings, and then a long list of about 40 curses that come upon you if you choose to be disobedient. All of the terrible things that can happen if you don't live in the way that God is calling you to. And Moses, after all of that, comes back to curses again in chapter 30, right? It's starting to sound good, and then he comes back to the curses. Can you imagine this? Like, his voice echoing throughout a crowd of people, some of whom have been there for almost 40 years waiting. Imagine that playing out here. You know, I was thinking about it. Like, imagine a, it's a baseball game, and we're in the seventh inning stretch, and some little well-dressed eight-year-old boy begins to stride toward the pitcher's mound. His mother has prepared him for this moment for weeks. He takes the microphone in his hand and he begins to sing, God bless America. And even the people who've been like drinking just a little bit too much, even their hearts are stirred a little bit. They stand to their feet. They begin to sing, right? But then there's this awkward record scratch moment. The announcer from the, 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 the PA, you know, in the press box interrupts. God bless What? Well, wait. Or curse. God bless or curse America based upon its requisite obedience or disobedience continue and everybody's like come on man 
like, you've got one job, right? You, you stick to what you're supposed to be doing. Like, why would you ruin this precious moment? Like, Moses, dude, you, you've got one job to get us hyped about the promised land. You've got one job to, to get us ready to enter into this whole new blessed life. And you're talking about curses again. Prepare us for the good things ahead. And you want to talk about curses, right? Read the room, Moses. This is, this is simple. So just to, to kind of like rehash, chapter 28, 29, and apparently chapter 30. If you obey, you'll get blessings. It'd be nice if there was like a full stop right there. We're good, ready to go home. If you disobey, you will get more curses, more of the same that you've already experienced. It, it starts to sound like, it's just disorienting, I think. Maybe it starts to sound a little bit to you like works righteousness. Like, wait, I didn't think this was what the gospel is, and I hope Kyle's not going to, to take it that direction. I thought the idea was not necessarily that if we do enough, then we get to experience the kingdom, and if we don't, then we don't. It starts to sound maybe a little bit like karma to you. What goes around, goes around, goes around, comes all the way back around. Nobody? Nobody? No JT? No Justin Timberlake? I'm sorry. I mean, I know it's been a lot of years since he put out any music, but, you know. It starts to sound like karma. What goes around, comes around, okay? It starts to sound like if you put out positive vibes, if you do good things, that's what you'll get back from the universe, right? Do good, you get good. Do bad, you, you get bad things, right? It starts to sound this way. And God said none of this to Abraham. None. God said, I will bless. And it, it sounded good. This starts to sound like a contract, though. It starts to sound like karma, right? He says, I'll bless you. No mention of curses. But what's even worse than all of this, when Moses brings all of this up, he's not just expressing it as a possibility. He's predicting it. He's almost like guaranteeing it. When these blessings, you're like, yes, that sounds great. And these curses come upon you. He's saying, God's going to do what he said. And you're going to get some things right. God's going to bless you for it. And you're also going to fail over and over again. And you'll inevitably suffer for it. Great news. Thanks, Moses. Like, you, you really know how to bring it together, right? You really know how to land the plane. Like we're almost ready to kind of like stop reading a little bit. Like if you really think about this, but don't. Like because this is, this is where the treasure is, right? We would far rather skip past this, this difficult, painful stuff, this whole bit about curses and disobedience. But there's, there's treasure, right? There's something really good here. Somehow through the, the pain and the loss and the suffering and the consequences and the real life experience of a believer who fails, Right? The sense we're, we're being given here is that no matter how many times this cycle of blessings and curses plays out, Moses is saying God will always bring the story back to blessing. This is his intent. The story begins with blessing in Genesis 1. And it, as we come to the end of the Torah, Moses is saying it will end with blessing as well. The story begins and ends with this. It is bookended by God's blessing. But inevitably, we have questions, right? How, how can, maybe on the one hand, a good God curse? Because he sounds like all of these other gods we've known. We've lived in fear of the gods our entire lives. We thought this God, Yahweh, was different. 
How can a good God like him curse? Or maybe a better question that we don't ask as often is how can such a good God bless such terrible people? Because if you've read Genesis through Deuteronomy, you realize like God's been pretty faithful. His character is not really in question as much as theirs. They've got issues. How can a good God curse? Or how can such a good God bless such terrible people? And that's why we did that awkward thing. Maybe you noticed it. In your Bibles, if you were following along, you would have seen it. Um, in chapter 29, the last verse is, is 29. And it's like a transition. After talking about all this blessings and curses business, now Moses shifts. And this line, it holds it all together. How can we reconcile these two ideas? A good God cursing people. A good God blessing such terrible people. How do we connect these two seemingly irreconcilable ideas? And Moses says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Again, thanks Moses. Um, but scripture comes to that conclusion over and over again. God is mysterious. His ways are not our ways, Isaiah will say. Isaiah in, in chapter 55 is reflecting on the idea that God is saying, seek me and you will find me. He's offering mercy to those who don't deserve mercy. And inevitably, we ask questions. Why would God be merciful to people who don't deserve mercy? And Isaiah's answer, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He's gracious in a way we don't understand. His grace is not like our grace. It's beyond all of that. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. These are not easy questions with, with simple answers. Like you have to wrestle with where these questions come from in yourself. What do we mean when we ask these kinds of questions? And I think ultimately it all comes down to this idea of blessing. How we understand it, how it works, what we mean by it. So today that's what I, I want us to do, like to, to consider. We use this word a lot. We see it everywhere. We're inundated with the idea of blessing in our culture, but what does it even mean when we say it? And what does it look like for God to bless us? Because obviously, like normally in our culture, <laughs> obviously blessing is positive. Like everybody likes it. You say, have a blessed day, and even a non-believing person is like, you mean well. I know what you mean. Maybe I don't believe in all that stuff, but like I'm glad to have the, you know, again, the good vibes, the nice thoughts, whatever. I'm happy to, to receive that from you. We all agree that it's generally positive. God gives me the desires of my heart, right? That's the picture that we have of blessing, right? And most of the time, the connotation of blessing is material in nature, right? That's what blessing looks like. God gives me something nice. It's a possession. It's a, a satisfying experience. It's comfort. It's convenience. It's something we've wanted, and now we have it. This is the way we tend to see it. Somebody goes on vacation, and they caption this exotic photo that they're trying to make us all jealous with, with this, this simple word, blessed, right? It's become a meme at this point. Hashtag blessed. Somebody gets a promotion. They get a new car. They have an anniversary and a happy relationship, six months maybe. Maybe it doesn't rain on their wedding day. Maybe their kid's birthday party has good weather. Blessings. Like, it's all the time. This is the way we tend to see it. And 
Sure, like Scripture can agree that those things can be blessings and very often are. Scripture wants us to recognize that there are many things we don't see as blessings that we just want to imagine are the work of our own hands that we made happen for ourselves. And it's trying to teach us to live with this, this gracious, grateful kind of mindset that we are blessed. And yet, at the same time, Scripture will also grapple with the idea that not all material things are obtained by obedience. Not all of these things we have in our hands are actually blessings. And we know many people, and Scripture wrestles with this. The psalmist especially wrestles with this idea. Why is it that the wicked go on prospering? Why is it the wicked appear to be so blessed? And I am suffering. Scripture recognizes this. This is a problem. Scripture wants to talk about blessing in a more nuanced way than this sort of one-dimensional view that we have of the idea of, of blessing. It's far more than, than what we have on the surface. There's more here than the way we see it culturally. So take it all the way back. Go to Genesis 1. One of the first things, one of the first words out of God's mouth. He creates humanity and he, we're told, blesses them. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply. Spread out, he's saying. They don't do this, obviously. That's part of the problem. That's what the story of Babel is all about. They want to stay together and do something fantastic for themselves. God says when he blesses them, be fruitful and multiply. So from the start, the concept of blessing is not about me. It's not a, a, about God blessing me simply for my own sake. It's not about God blessing me for what I have in mind. Instead, God is saying he's blessing us but his intent is that that blessing would be multiplied. That God's people will multiply this blessing, right? And it's not about children alone. It's not about procreation alone. When God makes this statement, there's more to it. So if you're single or if you're married and you haven't been able to have kids or you just haven't gotten to that point yet, that's not what this is just, that's not the only thing it's about. It's not solely about procreation. It's this sense that you're supposed to be spreading this blessing of God, multiplying it, right? Blessing is meant to spread. Blessing is meant to be shared. Blessing is meant to form communities around it. It's meant to grow outward into places where it's not. That's what blessing is supposed to look like. Think about it. Chapter 12 of Genesis, God says to Abram, all these amazing things, right? He's going to give him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. He's going to give him this promised land. He's going to lead him to a land. But greatest of all, it's all culminating in this moment where God says, and you will be a blessing to all nations. All peoples will be blessed through you. This blessing, it spreads. It's fruitful. It's supposed to do this, right? This is God's plan from the beginning. This is what Eden looks like. The idea is that the boundaries of Eden are supposed to keep spreading out wider and wider, further and further, all over the earth, the kingdom of God, the dominion of God that, that Adam has been given is supposed to be spreading more and more into every part of the earth until God's dominion covers the whole of this world that he's created. And to be blessed means to bear that burden of multiplying the blessing, of spreading this good thing that God has, has invited us into. It means to bear the burden of inviting others into that blessing. 
different than what we imagine, right? Generally, we talk about being blessed. It's like, I mean, at an individual level, I am blessed. I'm glad I have this thing. Sharing is not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind. Inviting others into our joy is not the first thing that necessarily comes to mind. But think about like, uh, like Jacob's story. It's one of the, the, the strangest ones. But it's familiar. Genesis 32. Pretty weird. Jacob stays up all night wrestling with a stranger. And there are all kinds of questions. But wait, is this a man he's wrestling with? Because there's something profoundly spiritual about this experience. Is this a, an angel, people have asked? Is this, is this God himself that he's wrestling with? Is Jacob wrestling with Jesus? Like, people have all kinds of interpretations, and I'm not saying any of those are wrong or right, but the passage itself doesn't tell us. All we know is that Jacob, eventually, throughout the course of the night, after the entire night at daybreak, he finally pins this stranger down. But not before Jacob is injured in the process. And this little brawl, the way it plays out, the stranger does something to his hip. Jacob is, is crippled somehow in this whole thing. But Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. You've, you've heard the story. You're probably familiar with it. He demands a blessing. The man is pleading with him. It's daybreak. Let me go. I will not let you go until you, you bless me. And the way the story goes, the stranger does bless him. We hear that he's been blessed by the stranger, but we don't know exactly what that means. How was he blessed? How does it materialize in Jacob's life? Because that's the way we, we think about it. And it's not like that so much. All we know at the end of the story is that Jacob has been blessed and that Jacob is walking with a limp. When Jacob goes and he tells people, I had this incredible experience last night. The only evidence he has that he was blessed or that he wrestled with this stranger all night is that he's walking with a limp. Like, I promise you this wasn't just a dream. I can't walk this morning. That's all he has. And the picture that we're given from that is that sometimes what it means to be blessed, sometimes blessing cripples us. Sometimes God will bless you and you will walk away from the experience with a limp. And I, I don't know that we're fully prepared for that idea, right? These kinds of stories, they challenge our preconception of what blessing even means. Jacob doesn't walk away like excited about this incredible thing that's happening. Look how God has blessed me. He walks away with a limp. He's aware that something profound has happened, but he's limping away from it. It challenges all of our notions of blessing, right? And then you go to like the, the quintessential picture of blessing in the Old Testament. From number six, the Aaronic blessing, it's called. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. It's nice. We like it. We say it. You may have heard us say it before. But the picture, the, the portrait of blessing we're given is the idea of God being fully present with his people. God turns his face toward us. He, he causes his face to shine on us. God is looking into us. God is near to us. It's a picture of, of intimacy, of closeness, right? And the picture we're given of blessing is that God's presence is the single greatest blessing he can offer us. Blessing may not be comfortable or easy or pleasant. It may be a burden. It may leave you with a limp. 
But the picture of blessing we're given is it means that God is present with us through it all. That God refuses to depart from us, to abandon us. There is always the hope of God's presence, even in really heavy and painful experiences, even in the consequences of these things we may do. And if we start to see the idea of what it means to be blessed through this more scriptural kind of lens, right, then it becomes clearer how Deuteronomy can do this, how Deuteronomy can so closely connect blessings with curses, right? It begins to make a little bit more sense how God can be good even though he might instigate all these painful consequences in our lives for things that we do. Like the sense is not just that we cause these consequences. It's directly God is making things happen to us because of our disobedience, right? How could such a thing be? But if we understand blessing differently, the blessing has never been about ease or comfort or pleasantries, what we want. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this idea of curses next week. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time there because Jonathan is, is going to move there and close out our series next week. But I would say this, an important question we need to be asking as we're considering blessings and curses is this, something we need to grapple with that we don't normally. If you're bothered by the idea of a God who curses, have you considered the alternative? Like, obviously, it would be great if, if God was just kind, if he only blessed. If God only blesses humanity all the time, what would that look like? How could that function, right? What does my look, life look like if God only blesses me? What does it look like? Like, I think we recognize, like, that doesn't end well. It just perpetuates my sin and my brokenness, my addiction. It just perpetuates sin, injustice, all of these oppressive things that humanity is, is prone to, Right? It just perpetuates the violence we so often see in our world. God just keeps blessing it, and we just keep on doing it. Because obviously, if things are great, why would we change? How else, if I do something wrong, how else do I, I know it needs to change, that this can't continue, if God just continues to bless everything that I do? The curse we begin to recognize is like, it's God's only way of getting Israel's attention. It's the only way they can recognize how broken they really are and, and see that they need to, to return to this covenant he's made with them. It's the only way they can get back to the blessing he gave them in the beginning. How can they get back to what he promised Abraham? Through something really painful. It's the only thing that's going to shake them from it. That's it. It sensitizes us. It sensitizes them. It quickens their senses so that they know what God desires for them, right? So you, you kind of notice this pattern that Moses is giving us. Moses says, when these blessings come on you, and then when these curses come on you. And if Moses had stopped there, there's a problem. That is depressing. I don't know why Kyle is talking about this, right? But that's not where Moses stops, Moses in chapter 30 is bringing us back to blessing. He's bringing us back to God's original intent, right? What if the curse is the only way God can bring them back to the blessing? What if the painful consequence is the only way God can bring them back to the beautiful thing he always had in mind for them? He can't just simply allow it. Or consider another alternative, right? Consider another a, a scenario that we need to think about. What if instead of cursing them, 
which is, is horrifying in our side as, as modern people because we have grown up in a Christian world where we think of God as being gracious and merciful. If he's gracious and merciful, then how can he do such terrible things? Consider this. What if instead of cursing, God simply withdraws from the story altogether? He lets them do what they want. He'll live his life and they can live his life. Kind of the worldview that a lot of people have about God. God is out there. Obviously, he created things. This sort of agnostic or deistic view of the world. God is there and we are here and he doesn't mess with us and we don't mess with him. What if God actually did that? That. What if God just allows us to miss the beautiful thing he always intended for us? Because he wouldn't want to curse us. That'd be terrible. What if God refuses to intervene at all and he just withdraws? That is a curse. And God refuses it. Because remember, blessing means that God chooses to be present completely. This is what it looks like. It's the only way they will turn back toward him. That's the picture. It is yet another picture that blessing is not what we always thought it was. It doesn't always look the way we expected. And Moses, Moses presses us to see, right? This is where the story begins. It began with blessing. It began with, with this goodness. And then there's this other place where we will inevitably take it because of our brokenness, but God will ultimately bring us back. He will bring us back to that place, right? He anticipates all these things, these good things, right? God anticipates that the prophets will eventually kind of like latch onto all of this. That's what's beautiful about it. Moses is saying things in Deuteronomy that Jeremiah will say, that Isaiah will say, that Ezekiel will say. They have reflected on Deuteronomy. It's like they've heard what Moses is saying. Moses says, God is going to circumcise their hearts. That's a thing that, that they pick up over and over again, right? Instead of just circumcising their flesh, marking their flesh in this unique kind of way, God's going to circumcise their very hearts so that you, he says, may love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and live. Remember, the Shema makes that, that statement, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, right? And God is saying he's about to make it possible by the circumcision of their hearts. He's going to make repentance possible that they might turn back toward him as he's calling them to. And Jeremiah picks this up, right? Jeremiah 31, 33, maybe you're familiar with it. Jeremiah says, I will put my law in their hearts. I'll write it on their minds. This is what God is going to do. Forget tablets of stone. I'm going to write it on their hearts. Ezekiel likes the idea too. Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, right? They're all picking up on this idea that Moses was giving them. We read last week, Jonathan read the end of chapter 30. I hold before you blessings and curses, life and death. Now choose life. God's intent is to bring them back to blessing, back to life. That's the idea. And he's going to facilitate all of this by giving them new circumcised hearts. God's inviting them back to the blessing even if they have to walk through something painful to get there. Even though something terrible may have to happen. The blessing that they will eventually come to will inevitably leave them with a limp. That's the picture that we're given. And that's the sort of hope that people were clinging on to 
for hundreds of years. After Jeremiah says it, after Ezekiel and Isaiah say it. But when the blessing that they had been waiting on finally came, again, it did not look like they expected. From the moment Jesus is born, he was supposed to be a blessing. Right? If you, you read Luke 1, there's this incredible story. Elizabeth has just found out she's pregnant with who we know will be John the Baptist. Mary has just found out she has pregnant independently of Elizabeth, and she's coming to share the good news, right? But before she can even say anything, as Elizabeth hears her voice coming into her house, she says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Jesus is going to be a blessing. And then you probably know the rest of the story, right? Then the man she's engaged to be married to, that she's betrothed to, almost divorces her. And I'm sure people in the community are like, great, yeah, the spirit, huh? Spirit conceived this baby. Interesting. And then she finds herself in a foreign city with nowhere to stay, and she's in labor. And then, after the child is born, she lives in fear that his life might be taken by this terrible king. And so they flee for the life of their son to a foreign country and live like exiles in Egypt. Blessed, eh? This doesn't look like the way we imagine blessing will look. Jesus grows up, and he just kind of continues the pattern. Jesus starts his ministry this way. Jesus says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Interesting take, Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay. Blessed are the meek, the lowly, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Okay. So the hungry and the thirsty, they, they also are blessed. And by the time Jesus is done, he's saying, blessed are you who are persecuted because of me. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Great is your reward in heaven, right? And the people listening to what Jesus is saying have to be thinking to themselves, how? How are those kinds of people blessed? If that's what blessing means, I'm not sure I want it. How are, are you blessed, Jesus? In what way are you blessed? How does this make sense, right? Jesus is holding before us a picture of blessing that is, is foreign. It, it's different, right? The picture of blessing is not Jesus in our minds. It doesn't fit our culture's view of what blessing is supposed to be. Now, there's another person in the Gospels who does, right? The rich young ruler. The disciples wrestle with this idea, right? They're wrestling with this notion. He sure looks blessed, Jesus. How is it that he's not going to be able to enter into the kingdom? How is it that it's hard for him to enter into the kingdom? It seems like he has done everything right in life. Maybe you don't know the story. A man comes to Jesus, incredibly wealthy, incredibly influential in his society. And he says, what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, I've done all of this. And he says, okay. Then sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. And the man walks away, right? You know the story. He's a picture of blessing. He's a man who's lived 
righteous life. He's a spiritual man. He's an influential and powerful man in his, his society. And he's wealthy, right? He's everything you could, could want him to be. But who walks away from the kingdom? Who misses the blessing of the kingdom? He's the one who walks away from it. And the picture that we're left with is that maybe a lot of what we call blessed can easily become a curse. Maybe a lot of the things that we value and that we're seeking in life can become like a stone tied around our neck dragging us to the bottom because that's the way it looks for this guy. And Jesus is holding for us a different picture of what it means to be blessed. Scripture as a whole is trying to help us see something different about blessing. It's meant to be fruitful. It's meant to spread. It's meant to bear that burden, right? It's not about you alone. It can leave you with a limp. It can be painful. If you begin to see these things differently, then Jesus starts to make a whole lot more sense. Here's Jesus, a man who has been obedient, and yet he doesn't always get what looks like blessing. That's what we're led to kind of confront. It's all strange. It's, it's kind of a, a mystery, right? It goes right back to where Moses starts the whole thing. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. It's strange. It's mysterious how these things we, we thought were blessings might actually be sucking the life out of us. And people don't see it. Jesus wants you to recognize it. Moses wants us to recognize it. Scripture's constantly trying to help us see this. It's strange at, at the same time how all of these things, these painful consequences we don't think we deserve, these painful paths in our lives that we don't want to take, that we're avoiding at all costs, those might be the only way we ever get back to the blessing God intends for us. That's what Deuteronomy is trying to help us see. It's strange, but it's even more mysterious how God can bring us back to blessing even after all of our rebellion, that he would even be willing to. It's mysterious. It doesn't make sense, right? It's strange how God can make blessings from our curse, that God can bring the story back to blessing in spite of everything we do. It's strange that Jesus, the obedient son, doesn't get blessings like he deserves, and instead he gets our curse like we deserve. It doesn't work. It doesn't compute for us. That Jesus would take our curse upon himself instead of the blessing he deserves. That Jesus would bring our shame on himself. That Jesus would take our curse upon himself. That's the picture that we're given. In order to bring us back into the life God intended for us, to bring us back to that original blessing, that original thing that God had in mind, in order to bring us back into the presence of God, how strange that Jesus the obedient one would be cursed. Strange and beautiful. Even more strange that Jesus would say to every one of us, not just that he took up a cross, but that we should take up a cross and follow him. That we should build our lives around something so painful. That the only way we will ever experience the good thing he has in mind for us is by taking upon ourselves something that feels like a curse. That the only way we can have the life that he desires is through death. We will inevitably have to suffer. 
we will inevitably have to carry that really painful thing. Our lives will have to be built around this. This is the nature of the gospel. How strange. But the picture it's giving us is that maybe blessing isn't what we always thought it was. Maybe the things we've been seeking aren't really what we, we thought they were, what they appeared to be. Maybe they can't actually satisfy us. And maybe there's life in something else that I've been avoiding. Maybe God, in spite of the terrible things he's allowing to happen in my life, and sometimes the really painful things I've got to walk through, maybe God remains good, and I just don't see it. I don't recognize that the story is inevitably coming back to where it began, to blessing, to Eden, to God's presence with his people. This is what Moses wants us to see. It's what Jesus wants us to see. And as we come to the table this morning, the band comes, like our hope is that you would take that seriously, like what it means to, to bear the burden of blessing. Like how are we as, as the people of God? Like what does it look like for us as, as blessed people? Not just with material things, but with the kingdom. How are we growing into this? How are we spreading out in this? What does that look like for us? for us to bear that burden, for us to invite others into the blessing, for the blessing not to become some exclusive experience. What does it look like for us to, to carry the cross as Jesus does, to walk into painful things knowing no matter what, God is bringing it back to the goodness he originally began? Let's pray. Father, I, I ask in these moments that you would give us clarity. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to see you for who you are. That we, would, that we would know your nearness to us. We would know the blessing that is ours. That regardless of the, maybe the painful consequence we're living through for some choice we've made, something we've done, or maybe the, the painful thing you've, you've asked us to walk through, not necessarily because anything's wrong, but simply because you're, you're teaching us something through it. God, well, I pray, Lord, that we would recognize sometimes these, these really beautiful things in our lives can only come by crippling us. Um, inevitably, we will walk away from some of these really good things you have in mind for us with, uh, with a limp. And, and we just pray, Lord, that as disciples, that you'd help us to bear this blessing well, to walk with courage and with hope and with joy uh, knowing, Lord, where you are bringing this story back to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.